You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today's going to be a little bit of a mishmash. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be too rigid with, with my plans. Like today we do exactly this and it's the same every single week. But at the same time, it's nice to have a little bit of structure because um, otherwise it's like, well, I, I got a little bit of this and half of this and I forgot to mention this and I don't know. It's fine. We'll just do whatever we're doing. So... Um, I did have some people in the Facebook group say that they were a little bit saddened by my declaration that we're not going to do like PFF Tuesdays or whatever, where I basically just go through and read off the PFF stats from whatever. I'm still not planning on doing that, but I do think I want to give some nuggets, just some general highlights. Um, I also think that doing my picks on Sunday is sort of anticlimactic. It's game day, and I'm just, like, doing picks. So I want to move that more toward Thursday, but I'm not going to do every game just picks. It's only games that I think have some kind of impact on the Green Bay Packers. That might just be an NFC team. Basically, whatever I feel like. But if it's... Well, that's not true, because I am going to talk about today's game, because it's today. But any other useless game that would be something like Cleveland Browns and Cincinnati Bengals, not talking about it. So... That's the plan. That's We'll see where that gets us, and if we need to do something else, we'll do something else, because there's more than enough to talk about. Um, there was some injury news, so I want to start off with that. Um, no real... It's basically we're, we're at the point of reading between the lines with these injuries, because nobody has officially been declared out. We've got Montrevious Adams is still injured, but he was a limited participant, so it's a pretty good sign for him being able to go. Very similar to Billy Turner. Um... When everything's fully healthy, it's kind of like I don't really want Montrevious out there, but it's to the point now where we're picking up random guys off the street that nobody's ever heard of, and it's like, you know what? I think I want Montrevious. As bad as he is, and he's real bad, I still think I trust him over just some random dude that, you know, typically gets picked up for a week and then drop. Um, Equinemius St. Brown was also limited in practice. I don't know how much utilization he gets, considering how well everybody did, but I'll take whatever we can get because I, you know, and this is something to talk about moving forward, I don't know how much to buy into week one. We know with 100% certainty that Aaron Rodgers is not going to be putting up that level of play every single week. The hope is he's kind of back to what he was 2010-2011, which sounds even kind of silly to even say that, but what else am I working with? We're talking about his second best performance of his entire life which we can call debatable if you want, but let's just put it in the top 10 of all his performances, which is any way you want to slice that is impressive. Um, But then you look at the wide receivers, and I I think as much as it's somewhat silly to say that's a a nothing performance from Rodgers, which is unlikely if a guy's washed up, he's not going to do that. It is worth talking about whether or not MVS or Lazard um, put up those kind of numbers again, just because that may very well be the worst cornerback group in football. I mean, there's, it's up there, right? Giants and Eagles, whatever. I don't know. It's a it's a rough group. It's probably not quite even as bad as uh, the Packers had in like 2015. That was, I mean, I'm never gonna let that down. Anytime I talk about bad Packer corners, I can't or bad corners, I can't not bring that up. I mean, the Vikings corners actually some of them graded out somewhat decently. The Packers corners ended the season with nobody being in the top 100. That has to be one of the worst all-time groups of Packers corners, and we're talking a first-round pick and a second-round pick just wow anyways uh, my heart absolutely sank when i saw josiah deguara is on here he has a shin injury which i i don't know of anybody that's ever been held out for an extended period of time due to injured shins i'll just i'll just start with that maybe a broken shin bone but 
Anyways, he was limited at Wednesday's practice. I'm assuming he's going to be fine. Y'all know I've been a massive Josiah fan, and I'm becoming more and more of a fan of different people depending on the situation. Right, I'm a big A.J. Dillon fan because I jumped on the bandwagon. And then once some people start saying it's a bad pick and we don't like it and all that, now it's like, you know what? Now I'm a huge A.J. Dillon. Same with Josiah. I did not like the Josiah pick at all when it happened. Because I watched it and I was like, eh, I don't really get it. And then I, when I, because when I quote-unquote watched and graded these guys, it was one game, real quick. One game because there's 7,000 prospects to get through. But then when you go back and watch like real close and ask the question, okay, why does Matt LaFleur want this guy? It became painfully obvious to the point where I'm sitting here before the season started saying, this guy's going to be big. And then you see what he did week one. It's almost identical to A.J. Dillon. Very small sample size, but the small sample I saw was like, please give me more of that constantly on a loop forever. And we, we keep seeing Josiah take out two guys, which is awesome, but I want one person to put up a highlight of his reception, which I really like. I did. I liked it. I, he, he, all of a sudden, it's like, dude's got some jets, man. I mean, he's not like Tyreek Hill or anything, but he doesn't look like a lumbering Jimmy Graham. No, I'm just saying. Anyways, real excited to get him back. Hopefully his, his shins don't hold him out. I mean, shin splints aren't fun, but I don't know. Anyways... And then Kenny Clark, also uh, still questionable. He didn't practice. That's a very big read-between-the-lines kind of a situation. He made a comment about how he's feeling better, but he strained his groin, and so he's got to talk to a doctor. My interpretation of that is, hey, he said he feels good, so I'm just going to shut out all other noise and say that he's fine. Um, Other read-between-the-lines, other people have looked at the fact that we're picking up defensive tackles and um, the fact that they're being very mysterious about it as being that he's going to be out, which I'm just choosing not to acknowledge that possibility. Elton Jenkins made the injury report, which is horrifying, but as far as I know, he's okay. I don't even have a note as far as what exactly happened. Uh, Randy Ramsey, Raven Green, Billy Turner. Uh, Ramsey, I think, in that group is the only one that did not practice. But then we've got... I'm going back and forth between two sites. I should just pick one, but one has notes and one has you know, whether they're limited or didn't play or whatever. So Randy Ramsey didn't play and probably isn't going to. Raven Green is is pretty big. Um, We saw some real good stuff from Chris Barnes, the undrafted free agent, which, again, I put on, I mentioned that because it was sort of the in-your-face Brian Gutekunst thing because that's a 2020 acquisition, as is John Runyon, who is one of the better offensive linemen, shut your face. A.J. Dillon, who graded out phenomenally in his two carries, and even if you don't care about grades or think that's stupid, go back and watch those runs, just watching him breeze through the arm tackle of a 350-pound human being as though he doesn't exist makes me smile 10 times out of 10. But anyways, um, man, my mind is just really just freight training, right? I'm just A.J. Dillon-ing. A.J. Dillon-ing? we got to come up with a better... What is that? A.J.-ing? There's no, no inging that you can put at the end of anything. I'm dilling. Dilling? No, probably not that. I'm just blasting through, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Raven Green, as much as Chris Barnes was impressive, I gotta, I gotta say, there are some times that PFF says stuff and it's like, eh, I don't know, maybe I'll go back and watch that for myself. Chris Barnes had that phenomenal tackle and that's awesome, but I do remember early in the game when, um, Dalvin Cook was just kind of ripping off runs at will looking at it and saying, who the heck is 51 and why is he on my football field? Get him out of here. I ha- And I had to look him up and I saw his Chris Barnes. I'm like, well, that makes sense. The guy's never played football before. He's an undrafted free agent. He's garbage. And then he made that really good tackle and I don't remember seeing him for the rest of the day. And then PFF was like, yeah, he was your best player on defense. And I was like, oh, okay then. Either way, if we're talking about regression candidates, the, the fact that Chris Barnes, the undrafted free agent, is going to be uh, some kind of a superhuman being, probably slightly less than 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 uh, than 50%, we'll say. I just would feel more comfortable if it was Raven Green. That's all I'm saying. If Chris Barnes ends up being great, I, I uh, wish him the best. I'm just I'm just rolling with statistics, and we'll call it the odds. And odds are he's not going to be the guy. Billy Turner Limited, hopefully we get him back. Again, I know that's weird coming out of my mouth. It feels weird saying it, but... Um, you know, if we're talking about best offensive line, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm. it's so weird how after one week I'm genuinely excited. And, and, and listen, the Minnesota Vikings pass rush is a joke, and it wouldn't make any sense for me to tell you it's a joke and then brag about how great our offensive line is. However, I am impressed to have, um, again, Yannick is not the worst, and to see Yannick go up against Elton Jenkins at right tackle 
um, to have John Runyon stand in and just do a fantastic job. Now, Lucas Patrick, who everybody on earth calls Patrick Lucas. I don't. I mean, I get it because it makes more sense. Literally, I was watching the Lions guy on FTFN. I'm not trying to pick on him. He does a great job. If you're looking at for Lions, I'm telling. I'm telling you, if you want to do some homework on the Lions, go watch Dose of Dion on YouTube. He he reminds me of me, but is a much nicer person. He talks extremely fast, does his homework. He had some really good insights. Go check that guy out. But anyways, he kept calling him Patrick Lucas. People on like NFL or ESPN were saying Patrick Lucas. It's like it's it's written in order. And it's funny when they say like two names next to each other. So if you're confused and looking at it like, oh, they must have put it in like, you know, where you do last name, first name. You're, you're looking at a list of other names. Why is that? Why do you think that's the only one that's out of order? I mean, again, I get it. I'm, I'm sure at one point in my life I called him Patrick Lucas, but I just, it's like, come on, man. Just read it as it's, as it's sitting there. It says what his name is in the right order. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Lane Taylor is out, which is another guy that I feel bad. I, I spent so much time, I don't want to say completely dogging him, but um, my opinion of him was he was... One of the best backup offensive linemen in football. I wasn't sure that I was 100% comfortable with him being our long-term starter. However, again, at this point in time, Lane Taylor would be, I would probably say, the second-best guard on this team. If, if I had to choose, it would be Elton Jenkins and then probably Lane Taylor. So that's a blow, but I'm, I'm getting excited, man. I'm, I'm excited about what we've got and, and how this can all work out. I like Wagner at right tackle. If we have two right tackles, in other words, we have Wagner and Elton Jenkins, and we have guards in Elton Jenkins and John Runyon and Billy Turner. Obviously, Corey Lindsley is a center, and Elton can play center if, if he ends up going down, which would be unfortunate because you'd hate to see him do that, although maybe Luke, I don't know. I don't know, but we, we've got guys, and that's exciting to me. Lucas Patrick, by the way, uh, received positive news from the additional tests on his shoulder, and it's expected to play Sunday versus the Lions. Tom Pelissero of NFL Network reports that's the final on these injury reports. But since I'm uh, going off on all kinds of tangents, let's talk about the offensive line because it was asked of me, what is your favorite starting offensive line? And there's essentially two, come on, come with me. I'm trying to like lean back and get comfortable in my... Uh, keyboard doesn't have enough slack i'll just leave this up here it's fine you can stay i'm getting comfortable wow this leans way back <laughs> i feel like this thing's gonna break it probably will that's fine so i still think my favorite offensive line in terms of getting the best players on the field is bakhtiari elton jenkins Corey lindsley and then a right guard and then rick wagner I would not be opposed, and, and I know the Packers won't do it because they're obsessed with Billy Turner. And there's a good chance with Billy coming back, they're going to put him at right tackle, which makes me want to cry. Um, but I wouldn't, man, there's so many avenues to go down. I wouldn't be opposed to Billy Turner being put at right tackle so that we can try John Runyon at right guard. Because I have to assume eventually, if Billy Turner goes out and does a poor job, which maybe he won't, and, and it, let's be honest, against the Lions off that side, he shouldn't have that hard of a job. The only good pass rusher this team has, the Detroit Lions, has is Trey Flowers, who's going up against Bakhtiari. But whatever. My, my, my favorite possibly would include John Runyon at right guard. Maybe I just want to believe that John Runyon is a better guard so that Billy Turner doesn't have to be there and we don't have to pay him a ton of money to be a really bad offensive guard. However, I understand a lot of people's love of putting Elton Jenkins at right tackle. My fear is I don't want Elton Jenkins to be a decent right tackle when he could be a all-pro left guard. That's my concern. The benefit, however, is that we are headed toward an absolute catastrophe along this offensive line if we don't get a couple pieces figured out, and right tackle is going to be one of the hardest because finding quality tackles in the draft is not easy. And if Elton Jenkins can just snap his fingers and become a really good right tackle in the league, and we've drafted three essentially interior offensive linemen, and John Runyon seems to already be pretty solid, we, we're, we're not out of the weeds yet. But if we essentially just have to find, like let's say it's down the line, we've got Bakhtiari, John Runyon, and then I don't know about the center because I, I have a hard time thinking we're paying Corey. Maybe we are, and it has nothing to do with him being a poor center. He was the number one highest graded center in all of football. I think I told you that. If not, there's your first PFF nugget. It's just a matter of are we really going to pay him? Same with Bakhtiari. It's not about being the best. It's about the Packers just don't give third contracts to these guys two offensive linemen. He's in line for a contract in, in a time in which we have a bunch of guys looking for contracts and we don't have very much money to pay everybody. And if we are going to pay Bakhtiari, 
And if we're even throwing five million at Aaron Rodgers, which is up for debate whether or not he would accept anything like that, which seems unlikely, but maybe call it seven, eight, whatever, not twelve. We're we're rapidly running out of money, and that doesn't include Kevin King and whatever. Which Kevin King is well on his way to not getting a contract if he doesn't shape up. Friggin' Jair went toe to toe with Adam Thielen and was the third highest graded guy on this defense. Kevin King went up against nobodies and was thirteenth out of twenty. Come on now. Anyways. Then you would have Billy Turner still at right guard at least for a little while, followed by by Elton Jenkins. Meaning, we need to find a center if we don't pay Corey. We need to find an eventual replacement for um, Billy Turner. And that's only assuming the other two guys we got in the sixth round just aren't cutting it, which is fine with me because I said if we get one starter out of this group and maybe a backup, that's solid for three sixth-round picks. And to, to come through this, what should be a pretty tumultuous period, look at what the Vikings and the Seahawks and the Texans and all these teams have to do to try to build up an offensive line. They swing and swing and swing and swing and swing and just can't build this thing up. Vikings are starting to make a little bit of headway, but it's still just an absolute struggle. Packers draft a second-round guard, and it's like, oh, yep, nope, we're, we're good. What do you mean you're good? Well, we also got some sixth-round guys. Yeah, but what do you mean you're good? Well, I, you know, probably find a couple other guys build this thing up, we'll be all right. And again, people hate Brian Gutekunst, and I just, I don't understand that. I mean, we, we don't know. Maybe Elton Jenkins can't hang at tackle, and John Runyon is, is just putrid rubbish, and the Vikings are just that bad. I don't know. We'll have to see, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about the potential that there's something there. Anyways, that random train went on for quite a while. Why don't we look at the Lions injuries? I haven't done my YouTube video. I'm hoping to get it done immediately after this. So again, if you want to see just my straight-up picks for this week, Go over to my YouTube channel, Pack Daddy NFL. Um, again, I haven't done the video, but I've done quite a bit of notes uh, to prepare for it. And essentially, it comes down to this. If the Detroit Lions injuries break in favor of Detroit, in other words, these guys, for the most part, all come back healthy, then I'm calling this basically a toss-up, just because the Lions are always playing us tight. I've, I've said before, I'm more scared of the Detroit Lions in Week 2 than I am of the Minnesota Vikings in Week 1. Another note that I made was... The Green Bay Packers are tailored, are built specifically, maybe not intentionally, but they are built in a way to destroy the Minnesota Vikings. It's just the way it is. However, Detroit is built to beat the Green Bay Packers. I don't know why, they just are. And I also don't have any idea what the purpose of the Chicago Bears is. If this were a three-team division, that would be just fine. But, you know, they do what they do. So I'm, I'm nervous, but some very, very, very serious injuries in Detroit. Um, obviously Justin Coleman was, I shouldn't say obviously, but Justin Coleman, who is their slot corner, who had a pretty good week one, who's a talented football player coming over from Seattle. Um, didn't really do all that well last year, but a lot of real high hope that he was going to come in and, and whatever, do a good job. He is now on IR. Um, Jeffrey Okuda, their, uh, rookie who did not play last week seemingly is not even on this report anymore. So he's probably a full go, but his first week is going to be against the Green Bay Packers. That's not great. And then the Actually, he is. He Well, it says full participation on this list. On the other list, he's not on there. Then you've got Desmond Trufant, who has a hamstring injury. So there are three starting corners, at least in terms of what they would like, is Desmond Trufant, Justin Coleman, and Jeff Okuda. Jeff Okuda has not played yet. Desmond Trufant is injured and has not practiced this week, and uh, Coleman is on IR. So at best, Okuda plays and Trufant plays, and then they've got Daryl Roberts, I believe, is going to be coming in. Uh, in the slot, Daryl Roberts is a longtime New York Jet. Not a very good Jet, but a Jet. Um, he graded out fairly well, actually, in week one, which, you know, similar to our undrafted free agent linebacker. You take one week, you take limited snap, you get a high grade, and you can either say, hey, this guy suddenly out of nowhere became really, really good, or you can just say, yeah, this is, uh, this is a really bad football player who came in in a pin, went up against the Chicago Bears, and did a pretty good job. I'll let you decide, but I'm not all that worried. Um, more injuries for the Detroit Lions, if that wasn't bad enough. Kenny Galladay did not play last week. I was assuming he'd be good to go this week. However, he has a hamstring injury and still didn't practice. And we know hamstring injuries can go either way, right? Jeff Okuda has a hamstring injury. He's good after a week. Some guys, it just lingers and lingers and lingers. And we, we've seen that with the Packers where it's, it seems like just a tweak and then it's he's not playing this week. It's like, what? Then he doesn't play next week. Then he doesn't play next It's like four or five weeks the guy's out because the hamstring just is not getting any better. I don't know with Kenny. I mean, it's possible that he's maybe okay, but they're just 
being ultra cautious so they just keep them rested and then eventually they'll they'll put them on the the active or whatever i don't know but uh he didn't practice and he's still as of right now not good to go and actually <laughs> i just, i missed it daryl roberts the guy i just mentioned who will be playing in the slot is also injured and did not practice so i don't even know who do they have behind daryl roberts to go in the slot i think next up would be tony mccray um 2016 undrafted free agent uh not not good <laughs> not no bueno he's he's one of those guys that just he, he's with a new team every year he gets picked up and dropped and picked up and dropped um we'll see again it depends how everything breaks it's possible trufant is out there and dale roberts with his calf injury is fine but if not it's going to start getting real ugly and the packers for the second week in a row are going up against some pretty rough corners depending on how okuda does uh, another really big injury that is worth noting is Halapalovati Vaitai, their uh, right tackle. He actually did not play last week, so as much as if you look at Khalil Mack and it's like, oh, the Mack is back, he was going up against their backup right tackle. It's possible we will be as well, which is really bad news for the uh, Detroit Lions. They currently have fifth-round pick Tyrell Crosby, I believe, out of Oregon. He was filling in for Vaitai. Could have been worse, for sure. He gave up three pressures on the day. But uh, it's not their ideal situation, that's for sure. They also have Hunter Bryant, who they drafted. He's He did not practice. And a couple other guys are limited in practice so far. So, again, if all these guys are healthy, then I'm a little bit nervous, especially Kenny Galladay, because that seems to be the biggest problem. The Packers' defense wasn't really up to the task um, against Minnesota. The safeties graded out poorly. Kevin King graded out poorly. And, obviously, Jair graded out fairly well. But we saw that in spots, um, Thielen obviously was the, the better of the two, at least in two spots, although, again, one of them was really tight coverage. So that's going to have to be better against Kenny Galladay and Matt Stafford. Not to mention down the line, the receivers are better with Marvin Jones and uh, Danny Amendola, who had a f- fantastic week last week in the absence of Kenny Galladay. So the Packers are just going to have to be up to the up to the task of that. Um, hopefully get a little bit better pass rush, not that it was bad. Again, they didn't do much, but they didn't have a lot of opportunities. If you look at on a per-opportunity basis, Zadarius and Rashawn both did pretty well. But we need more consistency up front. And the, the, the only real big question mark, and I, I hate to do a full Lions overview because that's not what today's about, but the only real question mark is running the ball. That seems to be the easy option, but it also seems to be something that the Lions aren't really going to want to do. I mean, I don't mean ever, but it's just they know their strength is passing. There's a good chance that we won't be able to stop it, so maybe they just go after us? And maybe they do both and are successful with both. I don't know. I have no idea. It comes down to the injuries. It comes down to whether or not the Packers' defense kind of steps up a little bit and wakes up a little bit. And then uh, the third issue would be, are the Packers going to regress offensively, and if so, how much? Depending on the answer to those three questions, you've got your answer. If there's not much regression, the defense wakes up, and the injuries don't look better for the Lions, this is going to be an absolute slaughter. If it breaks the opposite way, there's a good chance we lose the game. If the offense regresses, the defense doesn't wake up, and the Lions get all their guys back, we're in trouble. Pretty straightforward, right? Anyways, why don't we take a break? We'll look at a few games and some nuggets straight after this. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. 
Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Guys, it's really important that you pay attention to this for just a few seconds here. Because it's not all that often you get these kinds of good offers. If you're looking to spice up your football watching and playing experience, it's important that you check out my bookie. Not only are you going to be able to bet on the games, but you can live bet on the games as they're happening. And if that's not exciting enough, if you go over to my bookie right now and sign up, they're going to double your first deposit. Meaning if you're putting down 100 bucks, they're going to give you another $100 to play with. All the way up to $1,000. But it gets even better than that. If you sign up this month, Overtime, the network that I'm a part of, is giving away $500 in cash to one lucky person that takes advantage of this offer. And all you got to do, it's very simple. Make your first deposit. Take a screen grab of your MyBookie account. Email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. That $500 is going to be given away at the end of September. There is zero reason for you not to do this. Also, before I forget, i got to give a big shout-out to Daryl and Aidan. Uh, Aidan? Sorry, dude, I don't know how to say it. You would think four letters would be real easy to pronounce, but I just, my brain can't do it. I like, he's a, he, both of these guys are in the Facebook group. Every time I see Aidan post, I like to think his name is Aidan Giva, which would be his last name, because then you can just throw another word on the end of that, and it sounds like you don't care. Aidan Giva, whatever, right? Fill in the blank. Whatever you want to do. It's your life. So that's, now you know, Aidan, how I feel every time I see you post. I'm sure they're great posts, but my first thought is always, yeah, well, I don't care. But thank you guys very much for your support. It really means a lot. Venmo seems to be everybody's favorite. Oh, you know what? There was one more, now that I think of it. Based on the strange amount, I think I just had my first person give um, on Patreon using the yearly subscription. That's a new thing Patreon started doing, um, where you can, you know, it's a month-to-month thing where you can do a dollar a month or whatever you want. Or you get a discount when you pay up for the year, kind of like anything else, right? It's cheaper when you do it by the year. But thank you to Brad for jumping in on that. First ever yearly subscriber. So anyways, thank you guys for that. Again, if every listener gave a buck a month, which I know not everybody can do, but the uh, the difference that makes for me is pretty impactful. Think it over. Let's look at the games real quick, because I'm going to string you along for what you're really here for. And I haven't officially made my CBS picks quite yet. I'm working on it. And again, if you want to see my full picks... Should be later today I'll have this episode up. By the way, congrats to Jim for winning uh, the CBS the CBS Pick'em Pool. He declined, but the offer still stands. If you get in the CBS pool and you win, I will put you on my YouTube video in one capacity or another. We'll figure something out. He declined, but uh, the offer stands. So far, my picks actually were pretty solid. I didn't do that well because of how I weighted them. I lost all my big games. In other words, the ones that I got wrong, I put like 16, 15, 14 points on but uh, 75% was the uh, second highest of anybody. Jim and Scott were the only ones that were higher. So we'll we'll hope we can continue that streak and just put point totals a little bit better. But starting with tonight's game with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns, which again, nobody really cares, but we'll talk about it because it's happening. And my picks didn't save. That's cool. It, it is somewhat of a toss-up in my mind, and I'm, I'm not going to put a lot of weight into it, but I am leaning toward Cleveland. As much as they look like an absolute mess, and it's so hard to bet on teams that just look like they don't know what they're doing, Cleveland did go up against Baltimore, which is possibly the best team in football. So you got that little caveat in there. Beyond that, Cincinnati is just putrid hot garbage. And as much as they might, you know, maybe not be quite as bad as the Browns in terms of just looking like a constant dumpster fire that no matter how good they are, they can't seem to get it together, although it's pretty close, Cincinnati has even less. And when I look at this terrible offensive line going up against guys like Miles Garrett and uh, Olivier Vernon, if he ends up playing, I just don't think that that Joe Burrow is going to be able to hang. Cleveland's got as good, if not better, of a quarterback, even in the midst of of this chaos and and, uh, Baker not playing all that well. Uh, I I would argue that Cleveland has a better running back. You could easily argue that they have better wide receivers, although it's close. They have a better offensive line. 
I think they have a better defense. Cincinnati's only real strength that I can see is their defensive line, and Atkins and Mike Daniels are both out. So there, there's just not a lot I can go on other than the Cleveland Browns are going to shoot themselves in the foot again. That says that Cincinnati's going to win. So I'm not feeling super strong, but there's that. Now, I reserve the right to change my mind on a couple other of these, but let's run through a few of them. First of all, the San Francisco 49ers may very well be in the midst of a decline, but I don't see them falling 0-2 against the New York Jets. So hopefully the Packers win this one so that we can stay one step ahead of the 49ers, which I think is going to be, you know, the 49ers are one of those teams you got to watch and, and try to stay in front of. You know, it doesn't matter maybe now, but at the end of the season, all these things add up, right? You're, you're how badly we wanted that buy and, and we needed the 49ers to, to like lose two games or whatever, or lose to, to the Seahawks or whatever the case was. And if you just don't want to be in those situations, you just need the 49ers to lose more games than you do and you have to worry about it. But I don't think that's happening this week. Um, Dallas and Atlanta, they're both NFC teams. I don't know that I trust either of them. I do tend to think Dallas comes out on top, but not by a lot. But either way, I don't know that it really matters. I mean, I, I guess I'm torn on it because there's still a lot of people that think Dallas could be a threat, and they can be with the talent that they have if they figure it out, and I'm worried about that. On the other hand, some people genuinely think Atlanta's going to be a good team, and I don't think so, but if they are, I'm worried about that. I think, ah, geez, I don't know. I was going to say best-case scenario, Atlanta win. That way we know Dallas is a dumpster fire, but then you got to really wonder, like, dude, what if Atlanta's for, for real? They've given us some problems in the past. And they got Julio and Calvin, and I guess I don't know. I don't care. I'm happy one of them's going to lose. I guess that's all I care about. One interesting, extremely interesting game that, that's on the schedule is Chicago and New York, and I think this is seen as somewhat of a layup for Chicago, but I don't really think that that's the case. Um, the New York Giants went up against the Pittsburgh Steelers and put up a much better fight than anybody seems to want to give them credit for. There was a very long period of time. I only watched the first half, and it was not put away by halftime. Daniel Jones seems to be the only quarterback, young quarterback, that everyone's waiting to take a step that did. And it was against that Pittsburgh Steelers defense, according to PFF anyways. Uh, Daniel Jones was the highest graded player on that team. It is a rebuilt offensive line, which, you know, the Steelers completely shut down Saquon Barkley. That's not going to happen again. That was simply because it's the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. And the, the Chicago Bears, despite all the screaming and wailing and, and all that nonsense, are not the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're just not. And I think Saquon Barkley is going to have the ability to rip this team apart. They've got a, I would say, better offensive line than the Detroit Lions do. They drafted Andrew Thomas to be their left tackle. He was off to a rough start, but again, going up against Pittsburgh Steelers. Right tackle is extremely iffy, which is scary for Khalil. But still, I really think they're going to be able to run the ball a lot better. And if Daniel Jones seems to be legitimate, and you got guys like Slayton had a good day, Shepard had a decent day, their tight end, uh, Caden Smith, had a fantastic day. They've got Evan Ingram. I think there's a little bit of potential here. And it's not exactly as though the Chicago Bears offense is as good as the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, because I don't think it is. So I'm not saying definitively that I'm picking the Giants to win. I know they are a pretty big underdog. The current market has um, the New York Giants at minus 5.5. PFF has it at minus 6. But the other thing to watch is this New York Giants defense, which is not good. But you got nobodies like Lorenzo Carter that started to look like a legitimate pass rusher up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which isn't exactly known for having a terrible offensive line. You have their first-round pick from 2019, who's off to a fantastic start. He had a good year last year in Dexter Lawrence. You got Dalvin Tomlinson, who uh, is another really good defensive lineman. So if you got Tomlinson and Lawrence and Carter, you got Blake Martinez coming back, who had a fantastic day. I'm just saying it's not impossible. I'm not sure exactly which way I'm going to go. I desperately want to pick the Giants. I still think it's probably slightly in the Bears' favor, but all I'm saying is don't sleep on the Giants. This is not a guarantee. The Bears essentially lost to the Lions when they didn't have their number one wide receiver. They had a banged-up right tackle going up against Khalil Mack. They had no corners. I guess that's an exaggeration, but Okuda didn't play. And the only reason they lost is because their running back, their second-round running back, dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone. And that's the reason the Bears won against the Lions. I'm, you know, I'm just saying... Not saying, I'm just saying. Carolina, Tampa. Um, I've talked a big game about Tampa's not that good, but I think they're going to steamroll Carolina. I just don't see anything super redeemable about the Carolina Panthers right now. Um, and, you know, you got Tom Brady, you got those wide receivers, even if Mike Evans doesn't play or wh whatever the case may be. I just think top to bottom, Tampa's better than Carolina, so I expect them to win. Fortunately, it's their first win, so I'm, you know, Packers are going to no worse than tie them. Philly and the Rams, um, I kind of thought it was somewhat of a long shot, but I'm taking the Rams and I'm taking them. 
I don't want to say somewhat comfortably, 75% of people are picking the Rams, and maybe that's just because of what happened last week, and it's somewhat of an overreaction. If you look at the actual uh, betting line, it's pretty much even right now, which makes a little bit more sense. But, I mean, I, j- I just feel like the Eagles are in full collapse mode. I'm just not buying this whole, well, the Washington r- whatevers are super elite. You know, they, they, they registered 10 sacks, not official sacks, but 10 players or... or 10 times a human being got a sack. Some of them were half sacks, whatever. Again, PFF registers it differently. I think the official number was seven sacks and like 27 pressures. I legitimately, when I saw it, thought it was for the year that I was looking at for like 2019. I was like, what is this? 10 sacks, 34 pressures? No, that was in one game. And so I know they got a beat up offensive line, but it was not just Chase Young. It was, I think, seven different people registered a sack. Six or seven people registered a sack. Not just a pressure, a sack. That's a whole different list of, of people that brought pressure. And it was everybody along the offensive line. It was the entire offensive line, Carson Wentz, and I think a running back that gave up a sack. So top to bottom, it was just an absolute disaster. And despite the fact that the Eagles brought a good amount of pressure too, they still lost to Dwayne Haskins. So I don't know how they go up against the LA Rams, who seem to have got a little bit of their swagger back. Maybe it's false swagger because Dallas is just that bad, and hopefully that's the case. But they still got it. They've got a lot of confidence, and McVeigh does a good job in the locker room. And Aaron Donald is going to wreck their world. And the Rams' offensive line, which is a big part of the reason they were so bad last year, is back to pretty much full strength. And it's looking real good. It's a lot better than the Redskins. Whatever. The stupid Washington team's offensive line. Can we just disband that team and just build up a new one so I don't have to keep stumbling over their non-name that doesn't exist? The Washington Morons. That's I'm changing it from the Washington Footballs to the Washington Morons because I hate their team. Pick a name, please. Any name so I can say something in, in that spot. But anyways, Vegas has it pretty close. I'm, I'm feeling relatively confident about the, the Rams. And, and the way that I put it in my notes is I think the team with the better roster loses. Because I do think the, the Eagles have a better roster. I think top to bottom. It's why I put so many points on the Eagles to beat Washington. Because the Eagles are stacked and Washington has nobody. They've got a wide receiver and a really good pass rusher and kind of just meh across the board at best. So unless they completely turn it around, I just think that they're 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 falling apart. They're done. They're toast. And I don't think the Rams are where they're turning it around. Green Bay and Detroit, obviously the Packers win. Uh, Minnesota and Indianapolis is really interesting because you got kind of a similar situation between the two of them where both teams are kind of reeling. I would say if Indy didn't get beat by Jacksonville, that this should be an easy win for Indy. They have a better offensive line than the Packers, so there's no way there's any pressure coming. They've got Jonathan Taylor, who couldn't seem to get anything going last week, at least on the ground, which is really strange, and also Naheem Hines. They should be able to run against the Vikings with ease, unless, of course, they sell out against the run, which would be weird, because I think the most talented player on the team, at least it used to be, would be T.Y. Hilton. And again, the Vikings don't have any corners, so I don't know that that's their best strategy. Maybe they should switch up strategies. I don't know. This should be the Colts taking this one. The, you know, 75% are picking the Minnesota Vikings. I think Indy probably also has a better defense than the Packers. Clearly have a much better linebacker. They have, I think, the best linebacking duo in all of football, so Dalvin Cook is going to struggle. Maybe not quite the best corners in football, but I don't know how you can do any better against, better or worse against them than what happened with the Packers, where you pretty much just threw at will. So, I, I mean, again, on paper, Indy should walk away with this one, but they just got beat by Jacksonville, so I don't I don't really know what to do with that. I'm hopeful that Indy kind of gets their act together here a little I was also stunned when I was going through some of my notes, seeing Jacksonville and trying to figure out how they won, and I still don't know. Indy never punted. I think the Jaguars' leading receiver had like 45 yards. Leading rusher, I think, had like 65, averaged like 3.9 yards per carry, something to that effect. Nothing impressive happened from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they they won. I know there was one really good pick by C.J. Henderson, who looks like an absolute stud, but still, that's inexcusable, and it needs to get fixed. Buffalo and Miami, who cares? I mean, Buffalo's going to win, but who cares? Washington, Arizona. Arizona should throttle Washington, but I guess who knows? I'm not all that worried about it, although maybe we should be a little worried about Arizona. That, that again, is interesting to me. That Arizona 49ers game was not Arizona 49ers. Arizona versus 49ers game was interesting. Because, again, we got some people saying the 49ers are declining. We got some people saying the Arizona Cardinals are ascending. Arizona won. Is it both of those things? Is it neither of those things? Is it one of those things? So, pretty interesting. Unfortunately, Arizona and the 49ers are both going up against some terrible team. Unless Washington wins again. I don't know. 
but I just expect both of them to throttle everybody and we have no answer. Baltimore and Houston is not really impactful. Kansas City and the Chargers is not impactful. Seattle and New England. I think there's a good amount of people hoping that New England pulls it out against Seattle because the hype right now is that New England is the real deal and Cam Newton is a freak and it's just this match made in heaven. And that would be great for us if that happened because the Patriots don't matter. Seattle absolutely does. We want to try to get ahead of Seattle. I don't think there's, I shouldn't say there's no way. I'm, I'm very confident Seattle wins this game. New England beat up on a horrible Miami Dolphins team with gimmicks. Again, they ran 70% of the time. They're not going to do that against Seattle. They can't. Cam's going to die. They've got a safety that is the best safety in all of football that's just going to absolutely annihilate the quarterback when he breaks the pocket. All, all, by the way, also have an elite linebacker on this team. Cam's going to have to stand in the pocket and play quarterback at least a little bit. What did he have, like 150 passing yards last week? That ain't going to cut it against Seattle. Not to mention Miami's offense compared to Seattle's offense. Give me a break. I think Seattle's going to annihilate the Patriots. Uh, New Orleans and the Rams. I mean, the only real salvation here with New Orleans losing is that the decline is real. Um, they did lose their number one wide receiver. So if if Tom Brady, listen to me now, listen to this, listen to this guy. If Drew Brees really is declining and Emmanuel Sanders is his top receiver, there's a halfway chance. It's in Vegas. If they're even playing in Vegas yet, I don't even know. It's away for New Orleans. Um, Vegas does have some weapons. Defense seems to be stepping up a little bit. It's not impossible. It's not going to be my 16 game, I'll tell you that, but I, I do think New Orleans is the better team. As much as I'm kind of buying the Raiders a little bit, they're still a little bit early. They need a few more pieces, and uh, injuries definitely will play into this one a little bit as well, but I'm still picking New Orleans. So, that, I mean, I don't know that there's any game really outside of the 49ers that I feel like there isn't a chance that we can go up on somebody. Atlanta, Dallas, I don't know about Tampa. Philly, I think, falls again. The Rams could absolutely lose. Detroit, I'm expecting to lose. Minnesota could definitely lose. I think Chicago could absolutely lose, which would be a stunner, but it could happen. Washington, who is 0-1, I think fall, which would put Arizona to 2-0. But, you know, somebody's got to be 2-0 in that game. Seattle could lose, but I doubt it. New Orleans could lose. So we got an opportunity here. We also, on the other hand, could really hurt ourselves by losing to the Lions, especially with the Saints coming up. Even without Michael Thomas, that's not an easy game. So we not only need to win this game, we need to see some progress. Because, again... The week one team against the Minnesota Vikings was good enough to beat up on the division and get into the playoffs, but it's not going to help you win a Super Bowl. You need more than that. Not necessarily from the offense, but from the defense. So we need to see some progress in that uh, department. All right, very quickly kicking over to uh, the Green Bay Packers and PFF. Again, I've covered a lot of this, but there's some, some highlights that I think I missed. I know I mentioned this, but let's just go through each individual category because it makes me smile. Number one overall team, even after the Monday games are in the Green Bay Packers. And it's really not even close. Listen carefully to uh, the top 10 teams in their PFF grades. 70, 70, 70, 72, 72, 73, 75, 76, 77, 83. Guess who the 83 is? <laughs> Hold on, I'm not done though. Offense, let's just do top five because it's a little bit short. 78, 78, 82, 83, 91. You know who it is. Hold on, passing now. Top 5, 81, 85, 88, 91, 94.6. That's the Packers. Wait, 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 wait. There's more. There's more. Pass blocking, top 5 grades, 79, 81, 85, 90.9, 94.2. Green Bay Packers. Now, the receiving grades weren't all that great, which, again, kind of makes me nervous. However, still top 10. Packers graded 9th. Uh, running the ball, again, Aaron Jones had a down week, one of the worst weeks he's had, which is what's going to happen when they stack the box, uh, you know, 50% of the time more than anybody else, which again, in my opinion, means Aaron Jones did help the team. I mean, outside of his big runs, he helped the team by f by essentially scaring the Vikings to death. The Vikings said, our job today is to stop Aaron Jones. And they did, kudos, and we won the game as a result. And I don't expect that to happen every single week. But A.J. Dillon did really well. He's going to be getting a little bit more carries. He's already slowly going to get eased in. Matt uh, LaFleur already said they want to start getting him more carries. So as he starts to get a little more and as Aaron Jones gets rolling, you know that this grade is going to get moving up. But there's more. Run blocking. Green Bay Packers rated, I believe I told you this, but second in run blocking, which is ridiculous. If you go back like three years or, you know, I think two years ago, the Packers are like 28th in run blocking because Mike McCarthy doesn't care. 
Uh, defense obviously was terrible. They graded 22nd, which could be worse. The only redeemable thing, as I said, nobody was really good on defense. Uh, after the final tally, Philadelphia Eagles defense graded the highest at 73.6, which is ridiculous. Last year, the highest graded team was the Steelers at 91. So it's pretty clear that uh, when we talk about week one and the struggles that teams have, offenses were picking on defenses. That's just the bottom line. For whatever reason, maybe it's just because offenses know the plays, so it's kind of defaults to the offense knowing what they're doing, and the defense has to be that sort of that counter move. And if you're not up to snuff, then offenses do their move and defenses don't know what to do. I don't know. That's my weird rationale. Run defense, the Packers ranked 25th. Tackling, which Vikings fans were upset saying the Packers did a much better job tackling. They rated 26th. Packers have never really been good at that. Pass rush, 7th, so they're still pretty high in that category. Coverage, the Packers were 16th, so we definitely need better, but not the worst. Special teams, 16th, which I will take that, considering how bad things started off last year, being one of the worst in history. Um, I'm okay starting off 16th. I'll, I'll live with that. Um, I already mentioned Aaron Rodgers was the highest-graded quarterback this past week. Another really interesting uh, statistic here, they've got run-stop percentage. Just kind of throwing a little bit more love to Mr. Chris Barnes. He actually rated, he was tied for eighth in run-stop percentage. And what that means is, how many times did you play the run, and what percentage of the time did you make an impactful tackle on that play? A stop, uh, the definition PFF gives is that a a stop is a tackle that constitutes a loss for the offense. Not necessarily a loss of yards, but, you know, for example, on first down, you're expected to get ish four yards. If you make a tackle short of four yards, that's a stop. On third and three, if you make a, a stop short of the first down, that's a that's a stop, right? It's So in other words, a tackle is just a tackle. And if you tackle somebody behind the line of scrimmage, whether you do that or you tackle somebody 50 yards down the field, there's no differentiation between those two tackles in terms of tackles. There is a differentiation in terms of that in stops. Stops means you made a tackle and it was a impactful tackle. Not just you did a garbage job, got knocked over backwards, but grabbed his shoelaces as you were laying on the ground, you know, whatever. But anyways, again, Chris Barnes coming up again. Uh, Not surprisingly, Blake Martinez was third. I mean, I'm being sarcastic. It is surprising and it's upsetting because Blake is playing really well. Well, he always does a lot of tackles. Yeah, but it's always the garbage tackles. After he gets blocked off the ball, he grabs some... No, I'm, I'm talking about actually good stops. He had nine stops. He led the NFL in stop. The guy had nine tackles, nine stops. Every single one of his tackles was impactful. But anyways, um, also, I, I had somebody want me to look a little bit more into John Runyon. I may have done this already, but I want to do something a little bit different. PFF very stupidly listed him as a tackle, so he's in line with all the other tackles, except he played guard. 14 out of 15 times. Well, Mr. Johnny Runyon, when you just look at his grades and say where would he have ranked if if they classified him properly, had a 73 overall grade, which is fantastic. If we look at all guards in the NFL in week one, John Runyon would have graded 17th tied with Alex Kappa in Tampa Bay. 17th best guard overall in the NFL. The only Green Bay Packer that graded higher was Lane Taylor. It is uh, one, two, three, four, five spots ahead of Elton Jenkins. Now, if we sort by pass blocking, Elton Jenkins was the fourth highest graded pass blocker in the NFL. And that's with him playing off at right tackle for part of it. So Elton had a rough time run block, which really, as much as there were a ton of highlights last year about him doing a really good job against the run or in the run game, he'd never graded out all that well as a run block. But very, very good pass blocking guard slash tackle. But even so, Johnny Runyon as a pass blocker would have graded 11th among all guards. 11th. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it, look, it's a small sample size against a pretty bad defensive line, but that's really impressive for a guy that has never run with the ones. That was a sixth-round pick to just go running out there and do that. Round of applause. Hopefully you can keep it up. Another interesting little nugget, deep play percentage. What percentage of the time did Aaron Rodgers throw the ball deep when he threw the ball? The number one quarterback in that category was Mitchell Trubisky. 25% of the time he's throwing the deep ball. Aaron Rodgers was number two, 22.7% of the time. To put that in context, although Aaron Rodgers always likes to throw the ball deep constantly, his his uh, deep percentage last year was 16.3%. So obviously this is well above average. And we were taking advantage of the Vikings who were daring us to throw deep. The difference here isn't that Rodgers always does it. It's the fact that when you look at adjusted completion percentage, in other words, how often does he actually complete it, despite the fact that they throw it constantly. So he he was, I think, fourth last year in most deep throws. 
as, as a percentage, 27th in completion percentage. He only completed 37.6% of his passes deep. You want to know why the offense struggles? It's an offense that throws the ball deep constantly and can never complete them. Aaron Rodgers completed 31 of 93 attempts. Only four drops. So before we get on, yeah, but they dropped off. No, 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 no. Only four out of 93. However, last week, Aaron Rodgers, 60% completion percentage. He basically doubled his completion percentage. I mean, that's 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 a game changer right there. I mean, it, it, it goes one of two ways. Either we got to stop throwing the deep ball so much, which I'm fine with, and we did throw a lot of short shorter passes, or we got to start completing the downfield throw. Seems like both of those happened, and, and we saw the result. Elite NFL offense is the result. When you can throw the ball deep with accuracy, basically at will, but you're also dinking and dunking your way down the field at will, completing all your third downs or converting all your third downs, I just, I just, every, everything, everything went well. But this, this is pretty huge. And again, we'll see if it, if it stays this way. But Aaron Rodgers going from 35% completion percentage on deep throws to 60%, five of ten with a drop. So we'll call it six of ten. That's phenomenal. The only thing to somewhat keep an eye on, Aaron Rodgers really struggled under pressure. Um, very small sample size because they only said he was under pressure seven times, considering he threw the ball 70,000 times. Um, but he was two of seven for 32 yards, completed 28% of his passes, the adjusted completion percentage 40%. His NFL passer rating under pressure was 46. So not having any pressure is definitely going to help you look like a Hall of Fame MVP caliber quarterback. Not saying, I'm just saying. Looking at play action, it's pretty much about the same. I don't see a whole lot of fluctuation. Uh, Last year, the Packers ran play action 26% of the time. This past week, it was 25% of the time. Same old, same old. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look all that great for the we should do more play action crowd. Aaron Rodgers' completion percentage in non-play action plays was 78.8%. It was 54.5% on play action. His yards per attempt on uh, regular plays was 9.4 yards. It was 4.8 on play action. Passer rating when not doing play action plays, 136.2. On play action plays, 97.9. So, I mean, it, ultimately it doesn't matter. What, what does it matter if you run play action or not? Just do what works. Maybe we get better at it, maybe we don't. I don't really care. Um, but you, you just like to see things go well no matter what you do. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Just do a different stuff. Who cares? Play action's stupid anyways. Flexions for losers like Kirk Cousins. Um, and I will say the one really promising thing, as much as you can talk about, well, he had a lot of time in the pocket, Aaron Rodgers got the ball out of his hand in 2.25 seconds. It was the seventh fastest of anybody in football. Last year, Aaron Rodgers ranked 34th, 2.74. Talked about this a lot, right? This is a Matt LaFleur offense. It's get the ball out quickly. It's see the, see, see the ball, see the throw, make the throw. There's a guy there, throw the ball. Aaron Rodgers is one of the worst at that. He wants to sit and wait and wait and wait and wait. 2.74 seconds. He was 34th last year. Already this year, he's one of the quickest guns in the game. The fastest anybody got the ball out of their hands last year was 2.39 seconds. Drew Brees and Andy Dalton averaged 2.39 on the season. Aaron Rodgers is starting off this year at 2.25. That's phenomenal. He got the ball out of his hand in less than 2.5 seconds, 70.5% of the time. And the, the results are clear. He was 26 of 31, 83.9 completion percentage, two touchdowns, 126.2 passer rating. He was 6 of 13 when he didn't get the ball out in 2.5 seconds, 46.2 completion percentage, 106.1 passer rating is still pretty solid, but you know, still, there's no question that you want to get the ball out of your hands quicker. There's a reason that there's an entire metric based on whether or not you're getting the ball out of your hands in 2.5 seconds or not. There's a certain point at which pass rushers generally get to quarterbacks, and you want to make sure there's no ball there. You want to you want to take away pass rush? You can have the best offensive line in football, or you just throw the ball quicker than pass rushers can get. And if you're getting the ball out of your hand in 2.25 seconds on average, and 84% of the time when you throw, sorry, looking at the wrong number, 70.5% of the time when you throw, it's under 2.5 seconds. I don't care whether the offensive, I don't care whether Minnesota's got a terrible defensive line or our offensive line, blah, 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 it doesn't matter. Trey Flowers might be a really good pass rush who got to Aaron Rodgers last year. All that great. David Bakhtiari can hold him off for 2.25 seconds. Keep doing that, please. Please, please, please keep doing that. It was needed from day one. We've needed that forever. We knew that Matt LaFleur really liked that style of offense. The question is, is Aaron Rodgers going to settle into it? Week one, the answer is yes. 
And I cannot be any happier because, again, we're seeing the result of it. Not that that's the only thing. Obviously, his accuracy and everything else is really on point. But everything is really on point. That's the point. It's an entire system, and it all works off of each other. You want to make this work, you got to make that work. You want to pass, you got to run. You want to open up deep, you got to pass short. And if you can do all these different things, you keep the defense off balance. I mean, Matt LaFleur's whole system is, is throwing the jab, setting up the big right hook. Right, Work the body, get him to drift the elbows down, and then just jack him right in the jaw. That's Matt LaFleur to a T. That's what this system is. You wait for the elbows to drift. And that's what the Packers are doing. We run the ball, we throw short, we run the ball, we throw short, and then boom, MVS for 40. The elbows drifted. You dropped your guard. And you got knocked out. But you got to be able to execute it. You got to be able to hit him in the liver. You got to work the ribs. You got to hurt the guy. If you're not hurting him, it doesn't do anything. And it really was a thing of beauty what we saw against the Vikings. And again, there's no guarantee that that continues. But the fact that all these things are true helps. It's not just a fluke. We're seeing actual change in a positive direction. We're seeing accuracy on deep passes, which we didn't see from Aaron Rodgers. We're seeing the ball get out quicker, which we didn't see from Aaron Rodgers in I don't know how long. I mean, going back to 2018, 2.75 seconds. That's ridiculous. Fifth slowest release in 2018, excuse me. He was 25th in 2017, 2.73 seconds in 2016, fourth slowest release, 2.73 in 2015, again, fourth slowest release, 2.66 in 2014, 11th slowest. You have to go back to 2013, Aaron Rodgers was the ninth quickest, 2.43 seconds. That was it. That was the only year he got the ball out quickly. And obviously he's been good in the past, but that the, the point is it's not working anymore, right? The whole drop back. Everybody run deep, backyard football, you guys just scram you know, I'll scramble in the pocket, one of you guys get open and I'll launch it off my back. That that's all great. That's great when you're like twenty six years old and you got all the athleticism and the arm talent, and you got five elite wide receivers and you got the best offensive line in football and you can play these games. It's not working anymore. It hasn't worked in four years. It's an important change that needs to happen. It's happening and it we're we're seeing the fruits of the results right out of the gate. And again, the idea that you know, we saw Matt LaFleur's system and everything's going to be the same as it was last year. Of course not. Of course that's not true. It's already changing. And it's going to continue to change. Once we get guys like DeGuara and A.J. Dillon more acclimated to this offense, it's going to continue to change. It's slowly unraveling, right? Look at how many more jet sweeps and things we ran. We didn't do that last. We did it a little bit, but not nearly as much. Slowly unraveling. Now we're starting to look like the Rams with that kind of stuff, right? A little bit more like the Rams over here, a little bit more like the 49ers over here, a little bit more like the Titans over here, right? It's little bits and pieces are starting to emerge. It's going to keep happening. We're just getting started. A couple other little nuggets as we run through these. Um, the wide receivers have a, or PFF has a wide receiver rank uh, metric called yards per route run, which is important because when you look at total yards, it's not always entirely impactful if you're, you know, if you come off the bench once in a while. Similar to pass rush, right? How many attempts did you actually have at it? And then we'll work from there to see if whether or not you did a good job on a per-attempt basis. That's what yards per route run it. It's not just per catch. It's how many times did you run a route. If you're running a bunch of routes and you catch two passes, it's not that good. But anyways, uh, Devontae Adams was the fourth highest in this metric, 5.3 yards per route run. So on average, if you were to place down a bet, how many yards does Devontae get on this play that's a passing play? On average, forget whether or not he's targeted. You, the, the bet would be five yards on this play. That's crazy. That takes into account passes to other receivers, drops, the whole nine yards. On average, when he goes and runs a route, he's getting us halfway to the first down marker. That's absurd. Marquez, by the way, was 11th in this metric. Alan Lazard was 15th. All three did a really good job. And actually, I'm, I'm lying. That's just out of the slot. We, <laughs> we haven't even looked at yards per route run normally. Devontae is third in overall yards per route run, 3.63 yards. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is ninth. Alan Lazard, interestingly, falls to 45th, and the reason I find that extremely interesting is what does that tell us about his ability in the slot? Looks like Lazard was in the slot 58% of the time. It sounds like he did a pretty good job there. That's an interesting little nugget. Um, Looking at the offensive line, pass-blocking efficiency is a metric that uh, PFF had. Obviously, if you don't allow any sacks, hits, or hurries, you get 100% efficiency. There were nine players, nine tackles at 100% efficiency. Two of them were Green Bay Packers, David Bakhtiari and Rick Wagner. It's pretty good when your team makes up 3% of the league and you account for 22% of the uh, the top tackles in the NFL. <laughs> Likewise, for guard, there were uh, 16 guards that had 100% efficiency. Two of them were Green Bay Packers, Lane Taylor and Elton Jenkins. 
Neither of them gave up a single sack, hit, or hurry. And for uh, center, there were 12 centers that had perfect efficiency. Corey Lindsley was one of them. So clearly, most teams are not even on this list. Most teams at least have somebody not on this list. We had two tackles, two guards, and a center that made this list. It's not bad. Anyways, that's that's kind of all their advanced metrics, at least in terms of where Packers ranked fairly well. Oh, there is one other thing I got to look at is Mr. J.K. Scott, because, I mean, you know, you know how I feel about Mr. J.K. Now, in terms of overall grades, he only had a 60, which the way that it works generally is you start at 60 and then you kind of move one way or the other on a two-point scale, meaning at best you go from, I believe, a 60 to a 62. So he's at 60. He only punted once, so it didn't move the needle all that much, and apparently they found it to be an average punt. But moving away from the grades, um, because all I care about is a booming leg, his hang time on that one punt, 4.88 seconds, second highest in the NFL. So he's got the second highest average so far behind Corey Bergerjnikwiz. I don't know his name. But uh, that kick was also inside the 20-yard line, so it was not necessarily a bad kick. You look at it and say it was only a 40-yard kick, so that stinks. No, he booted a ball inside the 20-yard line that hung in the air for 4.88 seconds. So I'm good with it. Well done, Mr. JK. Anyways, that's it. I'm done. Done uh, coming up with random stuff. This is the problem with not having work. It's like, eh, maybe I'll talk about more stuff. Nope, we're done. Again, Pack Daddy NFL. going to be hopefully getting that video up today. I need to get it up today before the game. Uh, my picks for this week. We've also got a mock draft coming up, etc., etc. So you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.